0: Two sweeps with a bizarre international series in London since episode two last Sunday. What a week. With that said, good evening and welcome to episode three of the Yapping Yankees podcast where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but the Yanks. I am your host Mike Scudero as always and what a week it has been for our boys in the pinstripes a sweep of Toronto, and a two-game sweep of the Red Sox overseas in London. But before we get into anything, as always, let's start with talking about the show. Of course, this is Episode 3, and if you look at Episodes 1 and 2 combined, there are over 100 listens, which is pretty cool. A lot of these listens went to Episode 1, and the positive feedback has continued. First off, I do want to give a shout-out yet again, like I did last week, to Team Left Jab United Radio Network. Team Left Jab is a great, great sports podcast to listen to, talks about a ton of sports, and Sam really does a great job over there, so be sure to check out Team Left Jab. They're on Twitter, Instagram, all over the place. Facebook, just check out Team Left Jab. Also, I wanted to give a little shout-out to a DM that I got right after Episode 2 was done by at... RV underscore et sports. He was really, really kind and said he enjoyed the podcast a lot, and he looks forward to future episodes. I've gotten a lot of this kind of feedback from personal friends and family, of course, as well as many of the other Twitter followers I've got. And also, I did want to give a general shout-out to Yankees Twitter, as always, because I have so many great discussions with all of you guys. If you you are happening to listen to this podcast, being a follower of mine on Twitter, you would know that I definitely have a great time talking to you guys. I've even I've even made a couple of tweets trying to just get in touch with you guys even more. I put out a poll about Aaron Boone. I asked everybody, you know, which ballparks they've been to, which Major League Baseball ballparks, of course, and it got maybe over a hundred responses and even a lot of quote, quoted tweets as well. So that was cool. We generally interact a lot during games, after games or just in casual conversation if I happen to be up in the middle of the night, which is very common, and I just happen to ask, "Hey, what was everybody up to?" Usually get a lot of responses with that. And my following is just great. I love all you guys on Yankees Twitter. You are all awesome even though we are all at least a little bit crazy. <laughs> I think I think it's safe to admit that. So, just a shout-out to all of you. Your feedback's been great, and just casually talking to you guys has been fantastic. But about the poll I did, I actually wanted to give this a little, a little bit of time on this podcast, Episode 3 of Yapping Yankees. I put up a poll asking all the Yankees' Twitter, how do you feel about Aaron Boone as a manager this year in 2019? And the results were interesting. And it speaks a lot because I think the, the final results actually speak for myself as well. I gave three choices. The first one was, I always liked him. The second was, I like him better now. And the third one was, I never like him. I believe this poll received about maybe 60 votes or something, something around that. And the choice that won by 56% of the voting was, I like him better now. And 37% went to, I've always liked him. And 7% of the vote said, I never liked him. Didn't like him then, don't like him now. Now, this is interesting because, again, as I said, the final result really speaks to myself even because I've grown to, like, Aaron Boone more. Still, I, I disagree with some in-game decisions he makes. Sure, that happens. You know, whatever. But generally, I think his responses are better in the post-game when dealing with the media. I think he just—I just think he's better. His in-game, his in-game decision-making, I have not had that, that many issues with this year so far around the halfway point, and I don't really have as much of an issue with the things that he says as much as I did last year. So I, I, and of course, you know, the Yankees team overall being much better obviously helps things too. So it's just a lot of factors. So I would say I even like him better as of this year. And even after last year, even though I said, you know, he he has a lot of things, a lot of qualities about him and a lot of the decisions he makes in game and even off the field that I don't really like that much. I don't really align with. But it was just his first year as a manager and I did say to myself, maybe he'll grow and learn next year and he'll be better. And I feel he's done that. I also feel he's been like more of a leader. I, I, I just do. So I, you know, I, I happen to like him better this year. I do. So I've grown to like him. But last year, I really didn't like him. I was very vocal about not liking him. So that's just the case with that. I thought that poll was interesting. And then a couple of days ago, I posted a tweet asking everybody how many Major League ballparks have they visited? This even was a question extended past Yankee Twitter if other people wanted to answer. And they did. And as always, the discussion was great. Some of you, unfortunately, that are usually international haven't been able to go to any of the major league ballparks here in America. Some of you went to a decent amount. And some of you went to a lot of stadiums. I feel like the list went on forever. (laughs) So me, myself, I've been to a decent amount. I've been to Old and New Yankee Stadium, of course, Shea Stadium, City Field, Camden Yards, which was absolutely beautiful. I loved where the Orioles play. I've been to Wrigley Field, and I actually went to Wrigley Field in 2014 for the 100th anniversary, and also that was the last year, I believe, before they renovated the park, so that was cool that I got to see it pre-renovation, and I've been to Fenway, I've been to AT&T Park for the Giants, which is now called Oracle Park, but I remember it as AT&T, and that was my favorite stadium. Oracle Park, now now called, when I went a couple of summers ago, it was still AT&T, but it was such a beautiful park, and I got to walk on the field, too, in a tour, so that was awesome. And in August, actually, no, it's late July, yes, late July, I will be going to Miller Park for the Milwaukee Brewers, of course, and I look forward to that, because Miller Park looks nice, so that'll be another ballpark on the list. I've been traveling around the last few summers trying to visit as many ballparks as I can, so I've been to a decent amount. And I really like a lot of qualities about each and every one I've seen so far. Ones that I really got the general consensus that are not good, even prior to this comment thread, was the Oakland Coliseum where the A's play. And of course, as we all know, and I've vocally, and I've voiced my displeasures about it, of course, Tropicana Field. Those two, if I ever make it around to and I will not lose sleep if I don't ever make it around to them. I do not look forward to seeing them if I ever do see them. But everyone was asking me what's my favorite, which of course is AT and T Park, and what's my least favorite? I, I really couldn't pick a least favorite because again, I liked a lot of the qualities of many of all the stadiums I've been to. Of course, Wrigley and Fenway are historic, old and new Yankee Stadium I like. Shea Stadium was all right. City Field is beautiful. Camden Yards was beautiful. AT and T Park is beautiful. I, it's so I, I I at least liked everything I've seen so far, so I, I didn't really have a least favorite. I couldn't choose one. But the point is, the discussion that I always have on Twitter, all the discussions are great, usually, and it's a lot of fun to talk to all of you. So, the final shout-out, of course, I wanted to give, again, is to Yankees Twitter, because I do love you guys, and thank you so much for all the support and listening to the podcasts. Thank you so much. So... Before we get into our regular general recap of what happened throughout the week, let's hit on some injury news, because there is, unfortunately, even more injury news. (laughs) As if we haven't had enough of this. So, Giancarlo Stanton, he hurt his knee after trying to stretch a double into a triple and banged his knee into the ground. At first we were told it was a knee contusion, and then we were told it was a PCL strain, and the Yanks said they expect him to be out for over a month, or at least a month. So unfortunately, Stanton has more injury time ahead of him. And listen, Giancarlo Stanton in, in the Yankees universe happens to be a very touchy subject amongst Yankee fans. I like him, and I, I, I guess you can consider me a defender of his, I suppose. But I never like to see guys have struggles with injuries, especially if they play on the Yankees. It's, it's a sad thing. I don't care what you think about them. I don't care what I think about them. Injuries are always sad, especially when Giancarlo's in the point of his career, especially a couple of years ago, having hit 59 home runs. He's supposed to really be accumulating his numbers even more and showing just how big a power guy he really is. And he's missing so much time with injury. And he was pretty injury-prone before his time with the Yankees as well. Had a big history of injuries, unfortunately. That's got to be so frustrating, and you got to put yourself in the player's shoes when you say, hey, listen, they probably tell themselves, I know I got this talent, I know I have all of this skill and stardom to show all of my fans, but my body's limiting me, and I can't show it. It's got to be unbelievably frustrating. It really does have to be. Especially after the three-run homer, which proved important in the first Blue Jays game. Maybe he was finding his timing again when that happened. Because of course the the general consensus is that Stanton only gets big hits when it doesn't matter, and you could argue at first that when the Yankees were up seven to two at first, that the three run homer didn't matter to make it ten to two in that Blue Jays game. But later on, when Jonathan Holder imploded, it proved to be important. <laughs> it definitely did, because the Blue Jays ended up scoring eight runs when they got an unearned run off Chapman in the ninth too, and if the Yankees stayed at seven runs, they would have lost. So the three run homer did prove important after all. Plus, he also had the two the two big two run singles against Houston, I believe it was on Saturday, to keep the Yankees' offense ahead. He put them in the lead twice, not once, twice. So best of luck to Stanton, of course, and although it's a big bat to lose, honestly, with the way this Yankee offense has done has been, you know, just game in and game out, just being so resilient and talented and just relentless. Unfortunately, it takes away a lot of the sting of losing Stanton. It does. Of course, you don't want to get back to the point where, you know, Mike Talkman and Mike Ford were batting fifth in the lineup. You don't want to get to that. But it is to the point where if you lose a guy or two, you're not going to feel the sting that much because how many other guys do you have in the lineup to pick up the slack? Especially guys like DJ LeMahieu, who, again, just... Oh, my goodness. (laughs) This weekend and especially... Even against Toronto, especially in the final game, the game-tying two-run homer. My goodness, you can't say enough about DJ LeMahieu. Oh, Let's not try to get diverted with that, but he's just so amazing. Anyway, <laughs> again, best of luck to Stanton. But also, on the injury forefront, not nearly, as, not nearly as severe as Stanton's case. But you also have Luke Voigt. He seemed to have abdominal tightness yesterday in the first game of what was a bizarre series in London against the Red Sox. And he was removed from the game, but said he felt fine. And he didn't play today. And and fortunately, there's an off day tomorrow, which they'll take care of. Because they'll definitely take advantage of that because, of course, the travel. So hopefully we can see him play Tuesday or Wednesday, or maybe both, against the Mets. Thankfully, it wasn't worse. I mean, there were a lot of people speculating that at first it was maybe a cramping issue or... Maybe something with the leg or just maybe something worse. And obviously is a very, very important piece of this Yankee lineup. So you're very relieved that it wasn't anything worse. And all he kept saying, especially in the postgame, was that he just kept saying that there was tightness and it was unlike anything he's experienced. It was on his left side. And it was really strange for him. He really couldn't describe it. Whenever he was asked questions by Meredith or someone else in the media, he really couldn't describe what he was feeling. He said it was nothing like he's felt before. And he felt it was the right decision to take him out of the game in that moment, though. And no tests are scheduled for him, according to Brian Cashman. And today, he came out for batting practice and ran on the field before the game. So if he didn't feel anything really there, that's a good sign. So unfortunately, it's kind of like playing it by ear with Luke Voigt at the moment. So I guess we'll see what they choose to do with him once the series with the Mets comes around on Tuesday. And also on the injury... In injury news, Cashman, he voiced his frustration over handling, over the handling of the Severino injury with the lat strain and the, and the lat pain that he's been having for so long now, months now. And considering the injury struggles that have been taking place this year and have continued on, although the team has still done exceptionally, exceptionally well, of course, he still has a right to be frustrated when it comes to injuries. I mean, it's just been never ending this year. And what he had to say was, quote, clearly, in hindsight, he never should have started his throwing program. He passed all of his physical testing, he was strong, and they made a determination not to do an MRI. And normally they don't do an MRI to follow up after the down period of time, but in hindsight, clearly an MRI probably would have been warranted to make sure. And it wasn't. He doesn't like going in the MRI tube, but if we could turn the clock back, we would have an MRI. But it wasn't done, end quote. And Sevi again, he's had this lat pain issue for months now, and it's a real problem. And this all started out with a rotator cuff issue at first. And then it turned into a lat issue that really wasn't really explained that much. Just absolutely wild. And this setback has him shut down for another five to seven days, so it's uh five to seven days once this announcement was made, that is. And it's just unfortunately, what, it's unfortunate what has happened to Seve because, unfortunately, you know he, he's such a great pitcher, and and the big thing is, of course, with the amount of need the Yankees have in the, in the department of starting pitching, you really just wish that Severino was around to help things out. I mean, because the starting pitching at times this year, for most of the time, has been really bad. But honestly, the the whole not liking to go into an MRI tube thing is a bit ridiculous. I mean, listen, I don't think any of us really thoroughly enjoy an MRI tube, you know, especially if you're claustrophobic, there's like little to no space in some of them, the The noise is excruciatingly loud sometimes, and, but you know, there are a variety of things you could do to, a, a, you know, to really get past those issues that you might have with an MRI tube, you could take some medication that could help you maybe sleep a little bit, or just close your eyes and relax, you could put in headphones and listen to music, or I think there are even these open MRI tubes too, so that you're not like as squished in or you don't feel as claustrophobic. So there are a lot of things that human beings have come out with to really take away the negative effects of an MRI tube. And, you know, when it comes to just checking things out and making sure you're okay to come back and perform for your team, you gotta get over that. Come on. (laughs) It's a little ridiculous. I mean, I'm sorry if you disagree, but I I just think that was silly when I heard that. You know, get in the MRI tube. (laughs) The team wants you and needs you back. So, Now that we're through with all the injury news, I know there's so much with that. Let's get to the recap of the week that we regularly do here on Yapping Yankees. So, five games happened since the last time I spoke to you on episode two. And five wins. Five games, five wins. As another winning streak has surfaced. They took care of Toronto, even though things got a little dicey at certain times in a couple of those games. And of course we had the wild wild series in London. There's really no other word to describe it. Just absolutely bizarre time in London. I mean, it it was just crazy between the Yankees and the Red Sox, but as I said, this is a recap of the whole week, so let's start things off recapping the Blue Jays series a bit. Th- even this series was hectic because you start off in the first game right away on Monday against the Blue Jays, and This game didn't have to be crazy, but it was crazy because of a certain bullpen guy that's in the minors right now after this just meltdown, I think is a fair word to describe it, because the Blue Jays took a 2-0 lead right off CC right away in the first inning. Then the Yankees put a three spot up in the fifth inning and a seven spot up in the sixth inning. And that gave CeCe Sabathia another win. He's now over 250 career wins, so congrats again to the big man. And then the eighth inning comes around, (laughs) and this is when it starts to get out of hand. You have Jonathan Holder. Jonathan Holder comes into this inning with an eight-run lead. So you're probably going to be asked to at least pitch that inning, maybe the ninth since you have such a big lead. Probably don't want to use yet another arm in the pen. And Jonathan Holder's pitched more than one inning plenty of times before. So you're saying, okay, let's see what what happens with this. What's going to go on? Well, not much happened except for badness. Because with an eight-run lead, and this is not nearly the first time recently or throughout this year that something like this has happened, an all-out meltdown of Jonathan Holder, he gives up five runs. Five. How do you do that to your team? And all of a sudden, it's a 10-7 to 7 game. And you're like, oh my god, they're within three runs. And they're gonna at least have to use one of the big guys, namely Chapman. Holy crap. <laughs> you shouldn't have had to use any of your big guns in this. You were up by eight runs. <laughs> I, I was so, I was so angry over this. I was like, this can't be happening. And, and again... I just have to mock some of, I, I, I guess most of the people saying this or all of them were analytical nerds, but I, I mean, they were just trying to tell us on Yankees Twitter and everywhere that, that, oh my, that, that holder is better than Ottavino and he's just unlucky. Do me a favor and miss me with all that, okay? Just do me a solid. I don't want to hear any of that crap. It's obvious which pitcher is better. It's not even close (laughs) which one is better. The fact that the subject and the comparisons even brought up is laughable. I mean, how in the world, where in the world do you get off comparing them? Where do you get off comparing them? I don't understand this. It's just mind-numbing stupidity comparing Adam Adovino to Jonathan Holder. They're not even in the same universe, people. Come on, you gotta give me a better comparison than that. This this unnecessarily brought out the bigger arms in the bullpen. I mean, totally unneeded. Chad Green had to save the day, then Adam Ottavino came in, and then Chapman came in. It was like, oh my goodness God, <laughs> what is going on? Unfortunately then, the damage stopped there because Chad Green and Ottavino are competent pitchers, especially Chad Green of late, and then they were able to, to, the Blue Jays were able to get up one more run in the ninth inning. It was an unearned run to Chapman, and the Yankees won 10-8, to eight. so obviously a win is a win, and that's the important thing, but my God, was a lot of that trouble unnecessary. And as anticipated and requested by many people on Twitter, <laughs> Jonathan Holder was sent down to AAA as a result of that absolute meltdown. And the next day, the Yankees were able to win 4-3. to And the third game was wild. James Paxton, again, just imploding. Five runs allowed. Five runs in four and a third. Six earned runs to him, actually. Six. That's bad. That's really, really bad. After him, David Hale, Ottavino, Stephen Tarpley, and Zach Britton had to pick up the pieces. And fortunately, this ever-so-resilient Yankee offense, it did its job. It ap- They absolutely did their job yet again. Solo shot by Dee, two-run single by Judge, two-run shot by DJ LeMayhew to tie the game. And the rest is history. They tied the game from there. They bought the game to seven to six. And then after that, Zach Britton came in, sort of melted down the ninth inning himself. Although the damage could have been much worse. He allowed a tie game. It was seven to seven. And then Glaber Torres walks it off right away in the bottom of the ninth to win eight to seven. So a hectic series by Toronto. They they have a couple of good young hitters on their team. You know, they're not to be trifled with sometimes. Kevin Biggio's been making a lot of noise lately. Vlad Guerrero Jr., of course. Gurriel Jr.'s been great. And Randall Grichuk, I mean, he is he's just been a Yankee killer this year at times. It's really alarming. And Freddie Galvis isn't always an easy out. Yeah, so they have their good young hitters. Even Danny Jansen has been tough at times. So the Blue Jays aren't necessarily, even though they're, you know, over 20 games under 500 you know, some of the hitters in that lineup are not to be trifled with or taken lightly. That's the case with a lot of teams. But the Yankees were able to get the sweep. Again, that's the important thing, right? A win is a win is a win is a win. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so so after that, the Yankees would have two off days for traveling to London. And the first game was yesterday, of course, at one at 1 in the afternoon Eastern time. And my God, this game was one for the history books. Boy, do I tell you! <laughs> first off, it was one for the history books because it was so freaking crazy from the right from the first inning, each team scoring six runs. Porce- Porcello and Tanaka just being absolutely awful, as were pretty much all the pitchers in that game for both sides. So it wasn't only them. To the point where they were, everyone was asked, "Oh, was it the stadium? Was the ball flying out more?" Were you know, was it the, the turf, maybe? Was the mound uncomfortable? You know, maybe for some of the outfielders who lost the ball at times, was it the sun setting right behind home plate? Like, what was it? They were asked about all that. And some people said, yeah, there were some issues, you know, but for the most part, it was it was just, oh my goodness. <laughs> there was a lot of scoring. I believe it was the third longest nine-inning game in Major League Baseball history. And the only two that it trailed because this game was four hours and 42 minutes, I believe, on Saturday. There was another game in 2007, Yankees and Red Sox again, that went four hours and 43. And then another Yankees Red Sox game for the longest nine inning game ever, I believe, that was in 06, that went four hours and 45 minutes. So, Miss being the longest just by three, four minutes. It's crazy. It literally felt like it wasn't going to end. Each and every inning, especially with the pitching, on both sides, getting three outs was like pulling teeth. It was torture at some point. Listen, I like watching baseball games when there's offense. But this, oh my goodness, this was crazy. (laughs) I was literally sitting, I was at my grandmother's house, I was sitting and watching the game in the TV room. All I kept asking myself was, is this game ever going to (laughs) end? I I tweeted it too. I said, this game might never end, guys. We're in for the long haul. (laughs) I felt like I was losing my mind. The amount of pitchers used. Tanaka only getting two outs. Chad Green and David Hale, basically the only good ones in this game that were really on the money. Chad Green, scoreless two innings despite giving up four hits. David Hale, one scoreless inning. Nestor Cortez did great until towards the end of his third inning of work because I guess then he started to be fatigued because it was also a really hot day, apparently. So he had five earned runs charged to him. Then Tommy Canely comes in. He had nothing working, couldn't even get an out. Then Ottavino comes in to clean up the mess that Canely and, and Cortez left behind. And and then Zach Britton has to come in because then Ottavino started to lose his stuff. And then Chapman... Ended up closing the game out after Britain got out of a really, really big jam in the eighth, thankfully. And then Chapman comes in in the ninth, works a scoreless inning, and it ended basically on a beautiful, beautiful play by D.D. Gr- uh, Gregorius up the middle. And he ended up turning a double play here in Glaber Torres. So that was really, really nice. And that ended up being the end to that game. And the final score, after it was all said and done, was 17-13. to A combined 30 runs. (laughs) Also, a combined 37 hits. In the whole series combined, it was a combined of 50 runs and 65 hits from both sides in both games. Good lord. (laughs) That's a lot of offense and a lot of crappy pitching. A lot. DJ went 4-for-6 in the first game. Judge, 2-for-4. And he would also he would be substituted out with Mike Talkman later on. Gary Sanchez actually didn't have a hit. Austin Romine didn't have a hit. He only had an at-bat. And Luke Voigt, of course, who we know would leave the game with abdominal tightness. He was 4-for-4 four four with, I, be- I believe, three of those forward doubles. He was just really cracking the ball. Gio Urshela, who came in to pinch run, had two at-bats. He had a hit. Didi went two for five. Edwin, who really just did not like London, I believe, because he didn't do well in the series. He had one He had one hit and six at-bats in the first game. Hicksey had went two for five. Glaber went two for three with two walks. And Brett Gardner went one for four with that big two-run homer that broke the 6-6 tie. <sighs> Take a breath. <laughs> it was just so much action, more than I could even care to keep up with. And then game two comes around today. Started at 10 a.m. And even though this series was bizarre and they could not get out of London soon enough, if you ask me. With just how crazy it was. I just had my fill after the first game with how hectic that was. I mean, you have to, you know, this this is just, oh my goodness. (laughs) You have to admit that waking up to some baseball was cool. Because I got up around 9.45 today. And I sat up in bed and I was like, huh. Yankee baseball is on in about 20 minutes. <laughs> That's great. And it certainly was a lot of fun to just get up and watch baseball like that. And DJ looked to be off in his first couple of bats against Eduardo Rodriguez. And he just seemed to be chasing his fastball a lot up high. He was going after he was going after the high heat. But he found his footing, boy. Went three for six in the game, still had two big RBIs. And he was the one that started that monster seventh inning when the Yankees put up a nine spot on the Red Sox crappy-ass bullpen. <laughs> he was the one that got it all started with a double to start the seventh. Then Aaron Judge had three walks on the afternoon, so he was he was really, really zoomed into things. That was another thing about afternoon. The ESPN commentators, who, by the way, were brutal. A-Rod and Jessica Mendoza were painful today. They kept saying tonight, and it was driving me nuts. It was the afternoon in London. They were saying this when it was like maybe 3, 4 o'clock London time. They're saying tonight, tonight, tonight. And over here, it was midday. It's not tonight, guys. It's afternoon. <laughs> so with that said, this afternoon, Judge had three walks <laughs> and went one for two. Talkman subbed in for him later again. Didn't have a hit in his at-bat. Aaron Hicks, 2-for-5 with two RBIs on that big double. Gary Sanchez finally had his hit, a big two-run single that put the Yankees ahead. Edwin Encarnacion, 0-for-4, but he did have two walks. And he did score twice, too, so that's definitely important. D.D. Gregorius, 2-for-5. Gleyber Torres, 1-for-3. Gio Rochella, 1-for-5, big hit for him as well. Three RBIs and Brett Gardner, two for four. And pitching wise, Stephen Tarpley, just a disastrous first inning, disaster, three home runs. Luis Sessa, four scoreless innings. Now, I have to say this. I know not many people on Yankees Twitter are big Luis Sessa people, and I'm not either. He did start out the year good, though, and he really started to look like the Luis Sessa of old, but today, let me tell you something. Big reason as to why the Yankees won this game, holding this game scoreless for four innings. Which, to the best of my knowledge, I am i don't think any pitcher on either side did something like that. Four scoreless innings in this series. So you definitely have to commend Luis Sessa for that. He did his job today, big time. Then at, then Adam Adovino came in for the sixth inning to throw one inning. Got two strikeouts, and my God. I do have to say, Adovino... He, he's almost always filthy, don't get me wrong. His stuff is straight filth. That moving fastball just glides right across the plate and just zips or clips the outside corner, which it did this afternoon in an amazing way. And that slider just looking like a frisbee, he was extra filthy today. One of the filthiest times I've ever seen him, and that says a lot, because, again, he's filthy a lot of the time. Then Kane Lee had a, had a really redemption inning from the day before, yesterday when he just couldn't even get an out worked a scoreless inning, so that's good for him. Then Chance Adams makes makes things interesting when, given a monster lead, yet again, an eight-run lead, just like Jonathan Holder in very similar fashion, gives up four runs. Four earned runs were charged to him. He only got two outs. Then Zach Britton came in and got out of it. He allowed a hit as well, but he got out of it. And Aroldis Chapman worked a scoreless ninth, and struck out the side. And the Yankees would win this one 12-8 in another absolutely crazy fashion. This was a wild series. And although it was cool to see them play overseas, I suppose, and hear about all the things they did, find that's all cool and everything, but I, I just can't wait for them to get home. Like, I... When this game was almost was nearly over, I was like, I just can't wait for this series to end. I've had enough. This, uh, some of the offensive, t- some of the game times in this game when the offenses just wouldn't get out. I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> and this was an over four hour game too. Just long games, and I hope the Europeans really don't think that this is how baseball goes all the time. These high scoring affairs. There are a lot of times where pitchers duels happens too, but then again, uh, th- this. There were some things from fans that just like just boggled my mind. First of all, the first one I'm going to give a negative shout out to is the guy in the stands that they showed on ESPN today in the second game of the London series. That split cap with the Yankees logo on one side and the Red Sox logo on the other. You're a clown. If you do that here, you're asking for death threats. <laughs> and I know to some of you that may that may be ridiculous, like, "Oh, Mike, stop it," but it's true. Even I went on Twitter, I said, what the hell is wrong with this guy? A split cap? And he was like all smiley and laughing about it and saying, oh, look at my awesome split cap. And I went on Twitter and everyone just like me was like, is this guy out of his mind? (laughs) Good God. And then, listen, I know on the street, a lot of people just don't, they don't casually know about the game and that's fine. They, They don't follow baseball there. I get it. But you, you want to just either just swallow your pride and say, I don't know, or just say, I'm not sure, or maybe just say nothing rather than some of the answers they got. There's one guy I'm talking about in particularly, and when I heard this, I was looking down at my phone on Twitter, and I looked up in utter disbelief that I heard this. I couldn't I could. I couldn't believe what I heard. I believe it was Buster only going around and doing these interviews, and he asked somebody, he was like, he was like, do you know what a foul ball is? And there was one guy that was asked, and I sort of understand this, he said, is that when you get, you know, you get three of them and you're out, you're on the right track. You know, a foul ball is a strike, but getting three and you're out, that's a strike. You know, you get three strikes and you're out. So he was sort of on the right track, just the wrong train, I guess. That's a better answer than the next answer. Because the other guy said, what is that, when, uh, like, poo's on the ball? What? Poo on the ball? <laughs> Oh, my God. You would have been so much better off just saying, I don't know. Why can't you just say, I don't know? <laughs> There's poo on the ball. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. And, like, not for nothing, you want to know at least a little bit about some of the games. Like, I even I've watched a game or two of cricket, and even though I know little to nothing about it, I could probably say a fact or two about it. Or even like another sport that I'm not that big into, like rugby, you know. It's, it, I know a thing or two about these things that are popular elsewhere. And of course, the big thing there, of course, being soccer. In many countries in Europe, very popular, of course. I, I could say some facts about that as well. It's, it's just little knowledgeable things. <laughs> Poo on the ball. Come on, just say I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 was, I just looked up at the television in utter disbelief and confusion. Just perpetual disbelief. Who on the ball? Remember that one? <laughs> That's gonna stay alive forever in my head. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm never gonna look at a foul ball the same way ever again. <laughs> Good God! Who on the ball? <laughs> anyway, let's move on from the stupid pool on the poo on the ball. But <laughs> but fact of the matter is, this was an absolutely crazy, bizarre, wild, different unique, hectic series. But at the end of the day, the Yankees sweep, two-game sweep, as it's very fitting that the final game is determined by the Boston bullpen just utterly imploding yet again. Namely, Marcus Walden, Matt Barnes, even Josh Taylor uh, allowed a run. I mean, it's, it's very fitting because they've blown almost 20 games, and that's a lot of games. You best believe that makes a difference in a divisional hunt. And, you know, the, the worst bullpen in the game, you know, blow, blown games-wise and just overall is the Mets. They've blown over 20 games, which is just horrendous. But the Red Sox bullpen is right up there. Horrible. Can't say I didn't warn them in the beginning of the year. I did say that losing Kimbrel and guys like Joe Kelly, who did great in the playoffs, that was going to hurt him. They have no bullpen arms. But hey, according to the Red Sox front office and Alex Cora, they're fine. So, okay. Let's see how many games your bullpen blows before you go against the fact that your bullpen sucks. So the Yankees leave London. They sweep the little two-game series. They come home. They're off tomorrow before they face the Mets in a two-game series for the final time this year. They will be playing each other in City Field Tuesday and Wednesday. So that's the fact, Jack, from that. (laughs) So the boys are on their way home, Finally. Just a crazy weekend. Again, one more time. 50 combined runs. Both the games put together. 50 runs from both sides. 65 hits. 65! God! Can you imagine scoring that many runs and getting that many hits? So I guess your weekend recap is just me just saying how crazy it was. Because it was. It was absolutely wild this week. But the fact of the matter is, the Yankees have a winning streak going yet again, and that's what's important. And things seem to be looking really good for them, honestly. They just keep on winning. But, again, just emphasized again by the opener, Steve Tarpley again today, and other days of course to go along with this. And I'm not even going to include Tanaka in that because I may have been upset with Tanaka yesterday, but overall I still really like him. I'm a Tanaka guy. But this team's need for starting pitching is just still so evident. And I'm still just praying on my knees nearly that they just make a move eventually. Marcus Stroman's out there. Madison Bumgarner possibly out there, even though he's been rumored even with other teams. Matthew Boyd, even though I wouldn't be too big on that. Matthew Boyd is out there. There are just so many names out there that you could probably get. Trevor Bauer, maybe, who I would love in pinstripes. I know that might be a hot take to some other people. I know there are a lot of people out there that don't like him for his Twitter antics and... And just the way he talks to some people, I understand. But I think I think he would be really good as a Yankee. I just like his stuff. He's a warrior on the mound, and his stuff is really good in his arsenal. So, I would like him. Your options are out there. And the need is definitely still out there for starting pitching for this team. I've said it many times to many of my fellow Yankee fans throughout the week, and they all have agreed. There is one factor, one, that is preventing The Yankees from being a definite World Series, at least, uh, you know, a team appearing in the World Series, a World Series contender, and winning it. And that's the starting pitching. Both this bullpen, especially the back end of it, which most of the time, 99% of the time usually, gets the job done, if guys like Jonathan Holder aren't out there, usually the bullpen most of the time gets the job done and they're ready to win a championship. This lineup is ready to win a championship. You best believe that, moreover anything, really. It's just the starting pitching. And it'll be big to see how Tanaka bounces back next. I'm I'm willing to bet the stadium had something to do with it, too, in London. So I'm really going to be watching just to see how he does in his next start. That'll be more important to me. Not to just totally ignore how he imploded in the bottom of the first inning in the first game in London. It was ugly. But I, I care more about how he pitches here. And I'm typically a Tanaka guy. I want him to get his consistency back. But that's really the only guy they have. Because, I mean, CeCe's going to give you five, maybe six innings, maybe. He's, been, he's given a few starts now where he's pitched six. A lot of people say, oh, he's three, four. He's pitched more than that basically in every start. He's given at least five fairly consistently. But it's still, it's not enough. Jay Happ, so up and down. Mostly down, of course. And James Paxson, who just has no, he has no consistency whatsoever. After he came back from his knee injury, he's so up and down. And since he came back, I believe, against the Blue Jays, that was his second time, the first time being the Mets game, where he allowed three runs in the first inning without a co- recording an out. So it's it's concerning. It's really, really concerning. Thankfully, Domingo Herman is apparently fairly close to coming back. That's big, especially because a lot of times in the first half, he was big. But you need more. You need more. You got to go out there and get more arms. You have to get more arms. If the Yankees get as much as maybe... Let's say, for scenario's sake, three very reliable, solid arms in their starting rotation. They're set. Because you could have a slot or two in the rotation that are like, "Eh, you know, they'll do good good sometimes and, and bad maybe occasionally. But, I mean, of course you want all five to do well. I'm not settling for anything less. But... I'm just saying, if you have at least three arms you could look at and say, I am confident they'll help us win this game in a big way, that's that's huge. So that's all I'm saying. It's a start. You need more arms. The need for starting pitching remains. And so let's look at just the division picture now, now that the London series has come to a close. And now you look at it, let's see, the AL East. We'll look at to see how the Tampa Bay Rays did, because the last time I checked on them was right before... I started this podcast, and I'm trying to find the game. Yep, they beat they beat the Rangers today by a score of six to two, so they won that series. And if you look at it now, the Rays are on a two game winning streak from beating the Rangers twice. We're on a five game winning streak. The Yankees are, and here's the division: Yankees up in first, fifty four and twenty eight. Of course, that they're playing six fifty nine ball. That's that's really good, especially at the halfway point. Tampa Bay. Seven games back, with a 48 and 36 record. But we're going to be seeing a lot of the Rays shortly, so those standings could even could either get much closer, or they could get even further. Boston, after the two game sweep in London, has now fallen 11 games back, 11, 44 and 40 record. Then, of course, I'll just say them, even though they they're really out of the race for a while now. Toronto. 13 games behind Boston 24 behind the Yankees with the 31 and 53 record and Baltimore 30 and a half games out of first place 24 and 59. So that's your AL East picture. My god. <laughs> that's crazy how much I mean, when was the last time just think about it real good for a second. When was the last time the Yankees had a lead in the division like this? It's it's been years. A lead like this. It's really good. It's really, really good, and things continue to go on the right track for them, and of course, the big slander against the Yankees in recent years is that, oh, they just keep getting in with the wild card. When are they going to win the division? So far, I know we're only at the halfway point, which I can't even believe it's gone this fast already, but it has looked damn good for those pinstripers right now, I got to tell you. And lastly on Yapping Yankees, of course, the important segment is what is ahead for the New York Yankees. So I'll give you maybe until around yeah, the middle of the month. So tomorrow, of course, is July 1st. The Yankees have the day off, traveling back from London, heading to Citi Field to play the Mets for two games. And on Tuesday, the game will be at 7:10. Yankees and the Mets facing off. And then on Wednesday will be the final game that they have against each other. Of course, they split when they had the two games in Yankee Stadium prior to the London trip. And they will be playing at 7:10 on Wednesday the 3rd. The last time they played, of course, against the Mets was in beginning to mid-June. They had to play on June 11th, both games, because the game that was supposed to be on the 10th was rained out. So they played a doubleheader on the 11th, of course. The Yankees won the 1st. The Mets won the 2nd. So we'll see who the Subway Series go to goes to if the Yankees win the Subway Series this year of the four games, if the Mets win, if they split. We'll see. Then the Yankees hit the road right away. They travel down south to Tampa, Florida to face the Tampa Bay Rays in St. Pete. They have four games against them. Again, like I told you, the Yankees were going to be seeing the Rays for quite a bit coming up, and it has arrived after right after they're done with the Mets for four games next weekend, and that'll be a big factor in the division. Even if the Yankees manage to manage to split, that would be good because then things mainly stay the same from where they are starting on Thursday but especially a series victory or even a sweep would be would be a whole season change. I mean, it would be division changing. Cuz if the Rays get double digits below the Yankees and the Red Sox stay there, things are not looking good for either team catching the Yankees. Then this will be the last series I give you after they're done with the Rays after June after July rather, July 7th. They come home to face the Blue Jays. After the All-Star break, they will face the Blue Jays at home for three games. And then that's all I'll give you for now. That series goes from July 12th until July 14th. So for now, of course, just gear up for the Subway series on July 2nd and 3rd, both 7-10 starting times. And then Thursday through Sunday next weekend for a four-game weekend series, they are going to face the Tampa Bay Rays on the road in the dumpy Tropicana field. (laughs) So, that just happens to do it for this edition of Yapping Yankees. I do want to thank you so, so much for tuning in yet again. Been getting a lot of listens on this show for episodes one and two, especially episode one, as I said before. And all of the love, support, the listens, the feedback, and just all of it is just highly, highly appreciated. I'm still brainstorming ideas for this podcast each and every day, honestly to brainstorm how we could have guests, maybe take some phone calls, maybe just do more than just, you know, having my DM box open. Which, by the way, if you're listening, please do not do not forget, if you have any questions, comments, concerns for me regarding the Yankees, anything you want to talk about and want me to address here on the At the Yankees podcast, all you have to do is DM me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Mike Scudero. I have gone well over 1,500 followers too, so thank you so much for that. I meant to mention that in the beginning, but I'll mention that now. So if you do want me to address anything on this podcast, and I'll give you a shout-out too, just DM, just DM me on Twitter. DMs are open. I don't mind them. And I really appreciate them too. So DMs are open at Mike Scudero. And you could also find the link to each episode and to my SoundCloud page as well, of course, on all my social media bios, on my Facebook fan page. On fa- my Facebook fan page is Mike Scudero NY. Of course, on Twitter, I always post the link to listen to each episode on Twitter as well. As I said before, at Mike Scudero. And Instagram as well. I always let everybody know when a new episode is up on my Insta story. And I try to keep everyone updated on that. And of course, the link to my SoundCloud page is in my Instagram bio as well. MikeScuds97. So be sure to follow me on Instagram as well. But other than that, another... Another action-packed Yapping Yankees. Each edition's been really long. There's just been so much to talk about. So, of course, I look forward to future episodes. I have thoroughly enjoyed doing all three of the episodes that have happened so far, and I just can't wait for what the future of this podcast holds, of course. So once more, thank you so, so much for listening. I love all you guys. Be sure to listen again for episode four next Sunday night on my SoundCloud page, and I'll promote it on my social medias as always. All right, guys? So thanks again so much for listening, and I will talk to you next Sunday night. Enjoy this next week of Yankees baseball. High up in first place. Feeling good. You got to be feeling good. Take it easy, guys.